We're continuing on with our series in Ruth, and um, the th- big theme about Ruth is providence, providence. And so every sermon, I like to give us a clearer glimpse of what providence is so that we can recognize God's providential hand moving in our lives. After all, as Christians, the more we can see His invisible hand working in our lives, the more we gain confidence in Him, the more we're able to rejoice in who He is and what He's doing, even when it's difficult to see. So I'm asking this question, what is providence? What is providence? Pastor John MacArthur, I like the way he describes what providence is. He likes to compare providence with miracles, with miracles. And he describes miracles as when God suspends natural law, supernaturally he invades time and space. This is a miracle. And when when there's no human explanation for what happened, and um, just the examples of miracles are raising the dead, obvious miracle, walking on water, giving sight to the blind. These are examples of miracles. Providence, on the other hand, he would say, is a greater miracle than a miracle. Providence is a greater miracle than a miracle because God accomplishes purposes and plans not by suspending natural law, not by intervening in that way, but but he achieves his purposes by blending all his, the natural things that take place in life. Just the normal things of life. God is able to get his plans in, in, in order. And as if, as if he's divining a cosmic tapestry, taking the good, the bad, and everything in between and weaving it all together. And somehow he blends it all in to develop his story. Providence is about God's story. And somehow he, we, his people, are able to be blended in with, into his big story. So this is where we see human life intersecting with God's plan. So two weeks ago, as we, before we get into Ruth chapter 2, just wanted to give us a quick review. Providence returned Naomi and Ruth back home to Bethlehem. And Naomi lived in Moab after after responding to a famine that took place in Israel. So Elimelech, her husband, and her two boys travel to Moab. They leave Israel. And tragedy strikes Naomi, as we know. Many of us know. During those 10 years, Naomi will lose her husband, Elimelech, and she'll be left a widow. And then her two sons would marry, marry Moabite women. More tragedy strikes, and she would lose her two sons, her only two sons. Basically, Naomi would lose her support system. She would lose any hope of a family line. And she would gain two Moabite widows to support and care for. How is she going to do this? Things just get turned upside down. But providentially, Naomi hears that Yahweh, God, has visited Israel again and brought food back. And the famine has ended in Israel, so providence will have it that Naomi, along with Ruth, will return back home into Bethlehem. Naomi returns broken, as you could imagine. If you're in that situation, you would imagine, could only imagine how difficult that must have been. She's in despair but they're exactly where they needed to be. So Ruth chapter 2 is where we're going to pick up here. And I'm going to read the chapter for us. 
But I'm going to back up one verse to Ruth 1, 22 to just fill out some more context. So Ruth chapter 1, verse 22, and I'm just going to read the chapter for us. So Naomi returned with her Ruth, the Moabite, is her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Chapter 2. Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? The servant in charge of the reapers replied, She's a young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from, this, from the morning until now. She has been sitting in the house for a little while now. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the water, uh, servants draw. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and the wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come to seek refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here, that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he served her roasted grain. And she ate and was satisfied, had some left. When she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his servant, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not insult her. Also, you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles and leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. She took it up and, and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned. She also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied. Her mother-in-law then said to her, where did you glean today and where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law whom she had worked and said, the name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter, may he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. And again, Naomi said to her, the man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. 
Then Ruth the Moabitess said, Furthermore, he said to me, You should stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maid so that others do not fall upon you in another field. Verse 23. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz or to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to read your word. Lord, I pray that your spirit would allow me to preach your word faithfully. And I pray your spirit would help us to see more of your glory and your greatness. So thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. We take time to read the whole chapter. And I know there's about 24 verses there that we read, but this is the holy word of God. And hopefully what I have to say is spirit-led, but you know what I just read is from God. And this is why we take time to read the whole chapter here. Now, the setting of Ruth, I backed up to uh, verse 22 of chapter 1 because it was the beginning of barley harvest time. That's what's going on. This is the big event. As Naomi and Ruth enter back into Bethlehem, there's a stir, there's a buzz. I used to recruit in the Central Valley of California, perhaps the breadbasket of America, where they produce enough produce to support the whole nation. And I used to go in during the springtime. And there was a buzz. People were working. People were in the fields. The crops were high. And there was all kinds of stuff floating in the air. It made my allergies uh, active for sure. But there was a buzz. There must have been a buzz in Bethlehem. And the Bible says that Yahweh has certainly visited Bethlehem. And the reason why I use Yahweh is this. And you may hear me using Yahweh. Just a little time out from Ruth. In the Old Testament, in your Bibles, when it, whenever the Bible translator wrote down Lord, is in capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. They translated Lord, but in the original it's Yahweh. What is Yahweh? Some people have asked me. Yahweh is God's own personal name. We worship our personal God. He lets us know who his name is. Yahweh is the one whom we serve. Yahweh is the one who is our God. So Yahweh has blessed Bethlehem. He's lifted the famine, and now there's food. And like I said, this is during the springs, perhaps March, April, the theologians have said. And Naomi happened to have a relative. The Bible says that he was a man of great wealth or a man of mighty valor, a mighty man of valor. His name is Elimelech. And then providentially, Ruth takes the center stage of this narrative here, this narrative of Ruth. And there's an issue, though. Ruth, the, main, the, the one who takes center stage in, in the narrative, has a problem. We'll call it the Moabite problem. And Ruth knows that she's a foreigner. And perhaps you even recognize how many times she's called a Moabitess or from the land of Moab, or she's a foreigner. I mean, it, the, the author repeats himself and tells, reminds us that he, she is a foreigner. Why is this an issue for her? Why is this a problem? Well, the Israelites did not view foreigners favorably, particularly those from Moab. Moabs worshipped the god of Chemosh. They practiced child sacrifice, human sacrifice. That was deplorable to God's people, to God himself as well. And the people of Moab, according to Genesis, were the product of incest. The Israelites knew this. This is all recorded in, in Genesis. 
And the Moabites were enemies to Israel during the time of the Exodus. They didn't, they didn't help the Israelites as they were wandering. And also during the time of Judges, which is the time of when Ruth takes place. King Eglon was an enemy of, of Israel. So there's a lot of reasons to have animosity towards foreigners in general, but Moabites particularly. And Ruth is there as a widow. Her problems are like multiplied by 10 because she's from Moab. And so in essence, the odds were stacked up against Ruth. So what would Ruth do next? What would she do next? Well, let's turn to scene one. We'll call it the ordinary nature of providence. The ordinary nature of providence. Verse 2 reads, as, And Ruth, the Moabitess, there it is, said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I find favor. Naomi said, Sure, go do it. Gleaning. This, this, this word, is, glean or gleaning, is mentioned 12 times in this chapter. And which emphasizes that it is harvest time. It is time to harvest. And now it's time for those who are poor and destitute to support themselves. Gleaning. What is gleaning? It's basically God's welfare system that he set forth in ancient Israel. That's what it was. And this is where God cares for the poor. And it's in the Mosaic Law. If you want to look at it and read it on your own, Leviticus 19 and Deuteronomy 24 describes what gleaning is. In essence, field owners who are wealthy were commanded by God himself to not harvest the entire field, leave the corners unharvested. So the orphans and the widows and foreigners come and support themselves. And in essence, even the reapers, the, the, the professional reapers on the field, if they drop something by accident, they're commanded to leave it there so that the gleaners who come and pick it up, it's... It was a difficult situation. I mean, this is not something that you would want to be a part of. This is a very difficult situation. And in essence, if we got up early in the morning tomorrow before the sun came up and we had our bags and now we were going through our neighbor's blue trash cans and trying to collect all the cans and the, and, and the plastic bottles, going to all the, uh, all the liquor stores and trying to find as much as you could, that was the equivalent of gleaning back then. Very difficult. However, the Lord was providing a way for widows, orphans, and foreigners to support themselves. And, and, and Ruth says that, I'm going to go out now and, and, and with hopefulness. Hopefully I run into someone who shows me some kind of a favor. Now think about this now. Ruth headed out early in the morning. She's a foreigner. She didn't grow up in Bethlehem. She must have been thinking this. Naomi's still in a fog. I said, should I go gleaning? All she, all she could offer is, sure, go. She didn't tell me where to go, how to do it, who to seek out. She didn't even tell me what to bring with me. She wasn't able to give me much direction. How's this going to work? How's this going to work? And Ruth knows now this is the time of the judges. What does that mean? Well, as we learn in Judges, this is when everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This was a time when people did not submit to God's law. So how would she find a field owner that would abide by the Mosaic law to take care of widows, orphans, and foreigners? As she wandered outside of Bethlehem, she must have been wondering, why are all these strange men looking at me? 
No one's smiling at me. No one's giving me a hand. Even when I ask a question, which field should I go, they just look at me with a blank stare. They know I'm a Moabite. They know I'm a foreigner. They know I don't belong. She must have been thinking, how is this ever going to work out? How is this going to work out? Naomi warned me that it would be like this. She tried to keep me to stay in Moab. But I got to find something for Naomi and I. This is exactly why I came back to support her. If only I could find the right field, it's going to be okay. Well, what is Ruth's approach here? Let's learn what she did. She doesn't wait for a burning bush. She doesn't throw out her fleece to say, should I go or should I not go? She doesn't wait for a vision or a dream from God. She doesn't even ask God for a sign. What does she do? Because she already knows that she already received the sign. It's harvest time. God has already given her a sign. It's harvest time. And so this is what she does. She does the most natural and ordinary thing to support herself. She goes around glean. This is what God has provided for her to do. And her response is to get involved with the harvest. The most natural and ordinary thing to do. And she just does it. This is what the Lord has provided for her right now. And she simply walked through the door that was opened up for her right now. Ruth does what was absolute ordinary, and she does it. Remember, miracles are not normative. God can and does miracles, so, but that's not the normative way of how God operates. God calls us to walk through the doors that are just naturally there. So what do you do when things aren't quite moving the way you want them to right now in your own lives? It's not quite ideal. You know, you have a difficult job, you have a difficult boss, perhaps. Perhaps even difficulty in your marriage. You're not at the school or the university that you want to be at right now either. And relationships aren't quite where you want them to be. What are you supposed to do? Are you praying, God, give me a sign. Give me a sign of what you want me to do. Well, if we're following the pattern of Ruth here, Simply do what you've been called to do right now. If you're in that marriage, be faithful in that marriage. If you're at that job right now, do the best job you can while you're still there. If you're at the junior college, well, do your best. That's why you're there before you move on to the next opportunity here. Be faithful in the ordinary right now. This is what, this is what Ruth did. Show up every day. And get your worship on. This is exactly where God has providentially placed you. Do your best to be faithful as a faithful Christian. Focus on being uncommon in the common Christian life. What you do is not going to show up on the internet, on the headlines of a newspaper. But this is exactly where God has called you and me to be right now. Be faithful in that right now. See, providence happens in the ordinary this is where the ordinary intersect with God's plan. This is where God has you exactly where you're supposed to be right now. In your relationships, in the time of life, in the struggles, in the joys, whatever it may be. This is exactly where God has providentially placed you and me. And this is exactly where God has providentially placed Ruth. So going back to Ruth, let's read verse 3 here. 
Look what happened here as she just left her house and said, I hope this works out. Verse 3, so she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers and she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. This is not luck that brings Ruth to Boaz's field. This is called providence. She simply was doing what she's supposed to do and providentially, poof, she happens to show up at Boaz's field. And this is where providentially, as we go down to story Ruth, God is weaving independent lives, Ruth and Boaz, Ruth and Boaz. They're going to get intertwined here. And we're going to find out more later on throughout the weeks. This is where Ruth and Boaz would begin their merge together. This is how God works in the ordinary. There is an absolute ordinary nature of providence. And what happens when they meet? Well, let's turn to scene two. Boaz shows up here and says, Now behold, verse four says, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, see that? Is that something extraordinary? No, this is what field owners did. They came to the field to check up on their workers and to see how the harvest is going. They absolutely, even Boaz is doing the ordinary thing. And what's amazing about Boaz's field is that there's a Yahweh culture. There's a God culture. There's a, there's a, there's a, uh, although this is the time of the judges, but Ruth may have been able to figure this out. Wow, there's something different here. Boaz says to his workers, may Yahweh be with you. And, and you know it's a real culture because it isn't just a boss speaking. His workers, the reapers, say, may Yahweh bless you. This is a Yahweh culture here in, in Boaz's field. And then just a side note, isn't it a blessing for those of us who do work in that type of environment where you have a godly boss, where you have godly coworkers, where you're aiming towards doing godly things? Now, I get it. It's not like that for all of us. But for those of us who have that, it is a blessing. It's a unique blessing from the Lord. It's just a grace. But wherever we're at, that's where God has us. And then verse 5, Boaz says, who is that person over there sitting in the shed? Who is that person? And she, he, even, he asked specifically, whose young woman is this? And we understand that ancient Israel was a patriarchal culture, meaning the, the woman's identity is tied to the man in her life. Uh, that's what it defined the woman in ancient Israel. And in essence, he could be asking, who is she married to? No one. Who's she a mother to? No one. Who's her father then? No one here. So in essence, Ruth, who is she? She was a nobody in, in, in Bethlehem. This is exactly who she was. And Boaz understood this, and the, but the workers responded even more. She's a young Moabite, out of verse 6, who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. He goes, Boaz, did you get that? She's the Moabitess. Did you hear that? Now, just in case you missed it, who returned from the land of Moab. So even the workers are like double emphasizing, she's a Moabitess. She's a foreigner. Boaz, do what you need to do. But they said that, you know, she's, she came up here early to, and she asked if she could glean and she's been working from early morning. Finally, she's taking a break in the shed and catching her breath. Boaz must have been thinking to himself, well, 
She's the one I heard about. She's the one that everyone back in town was talking about. This is the one who came back with Naomi. That's the one. I'm going to go talk to her. I'm going to go talk to her. And look what Boaz says to Naomi out of verse 8 and 9. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. My daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one. But stay here with my maids. Verse 9. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. You know what Boaz is telling her? This is completely countercultural. You may think, wow, what a kind gesture by Boaz. Certainly was. But this is what you call favor. Boaz, in essence, was telling the the widowed Moabitess who came from the land of Moab and, and declaring to all his workers, she belongs. Ruth, you belong here. I'm going to call you my daughter. I'm going to go beyond the requirements of the Mosaic law. I only have to let you glean. No, I'm going to treat you like family, like you belong here. This just blows Ruth's mind now. Boom. This act of kindness, this favor that she was hoping to receive is being realized. And in chapter, verse 10 here of chapter 2, then she fell on her face. An act of respect, an act of just, uh, gratitude, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor or grace in your sight? She knew she didn't deserve it. How do we know that? Because what she says next, that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. She knew she didn't deserve this by cultural customs or any, by any means. This is beyond normal. This is beyond kind. Why have you treated me with such favor and grace? Why? It's a great question. Well, Boaz responds in verse 11. He has, he's got an answer. Verse 11, Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law, Naomi, after the death of your husband, Malone, has been fully reported to me. They've talked to me about you, and they're talking about you back in town. And how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth. You left everything to be with your mother-in-law and came to a people that you did not previously know. Now, this is interesting now. Ruth providentially gets insight into the heart of Naomi. Sometimes it happens that way, doesn't it? <laughs> when you're, when you may, perhaps are struggling with a relationship, some kind of information comes from, the, from another mouth or another source. And I don't think Boaz was necessarily thinking about this, but Ruth must have been thinking, no one but Naomi knows my story. Who else could be spreading this? She must be speaking about me. When she said back in chapter 1, when we entered into the town, I came back empty, that killed me. But obviously she didn't really mean it. She was just in a hard place. Think about that church. How healing that must have been for Ruth to hear that. Where she, Ruth literally gave up everything her whole life to follow Naomi. And Naomi says, I come back empty. 
It's like right there. And all of a sudden, God, in his kindness through providence, speaks through Boaz to let her know. Well, she didn't really mean that. She was in an incredibly broken place. And look what Boaz continues to do. Verse 12. May Yahweh reward your work and your wages be full from Yahweh, the God of Israel. He blesses her. An Israelite man blessing a Moabite widow. He blesses her. This is beyond countercultural, like I said. Under whose wing you have come to seek refuge. Back in chapter 1, Ruth said, your God will be my God. She declared that to Naomi. He goes, I'm no longer under Chemosh. I'm going to be under your God, Yahweh. And by moving to Israel, she was coming under the care of Yahweh. She left the tyranny of Chemosh to come under the loving care of Yahweh by moving to Israel with Naomi. And Boaz begins to act as an extension of Yahweh's wings and starts to cover her. All right, this is all from God. He, and, and his workers might have been wondering, why are you doing this, Boaz? This is so strange. This is awkward. This is, what are the people in the fields going to think about what you're doing? Well, everyone could see that Ruth is a Moabite foreigner. Everyone could see that she's a poor widow, otherwise she wouldn't be gleaning. Everyone could see that she's a nobody in Bethlehem. But what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the what? The heart. The heart, that's right. Boaz looked at Ruth with the eyes of Yahweh. See, what you value is what you will see in others. This is important now. What you actually value, you will see in others. If you value the things of the world, you're going to look for worldly traits. How talented somebody is, how beautiful somebody is, how smart somebody is, how much money somebody has, how much popularity they may have. These are all worldly things that will fade away someday. If you value the world, this is how you're going to judge uh, people that you co- that come across in your life. How, 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 how similar are they to me? Can they help me? Can I raise my social status by being associated with them? That's very worldly. But if you value God the most in your life, you know what you look for in people? Godliness. Godliness. And Boaz must have been thinking, she's more Israelite than all of us. How could she be asking such a thing? I don't know anyone else in this village, nor myself, who would do what she did. Who would give up everything like Ruth did? This woman's amazing. See, Boaz thought had the mind of Yahweh. Therefore, he had the eyes of Yahweh. He was able to look past the skin, the clothes, all that, all those circumstances, and see into her heart. She had spiritual x-ray vision in some sense because he wasn't captured and distracted by the things of the world. Verse 13, this is what Ruth says. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, favor or grace in your sight, my Lord. Talking about Boaz, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your, your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. I've been shown favor. Then once again, Ruth is acknowledging her lowly state. I am your maidservant. I'm a humble 
slave girl. This is, how, this is the word in the Hebrew. Maidservant means slave girl. As a matter of fact, I'm not even like, deserve to be treated like your other slave girls because I'm a foreigner. But providence would go beyond all that as we see and God's favor would be cover, covering Ruth through Boaz. Well, it's lunchtime. Ruth gets back to work, and then now it turns, it's lunchtime, and, and Ruth has been working all day long. All of a sudden, she's gleaning and picking up things. Her back must have been aching at this time. Her hands must have been blistered, sweating. It's hot Israel sun. And she sees all the workers gathering. What's going on? They're, everyone's taking a break. Oh, I see. It's lunchtime. I forgot I've been working so hard. I forgot. It's lunchtime. It's time for me to take a break. I can't glean unless they're out there with me and uh, they're going to eat lunch. I'm hungry, but I don't have anything to eat. I'll stay over here and rest until they start up again. And then this is where scene three shifts in. We'll call it the kindness of providence, the kindness of providence. And God's kindness and, and his providence is intentional. Everything that God does is very intentional. Although we may not be able to recognize it at the time, but God is very intentional. Look at verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, to Ruth, Why are you over there? Come here, he says to her. Come here. What, me? Yes, you, Ruth. Come here. Come here. That you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So Ruth sat down beside the reapers and he served her roasted grain. He served her roasted grain, that's Boaz, and she ate and was satisfied, had some left. What's happening here? This is more than let's have a sandwich together, guys. Boaz, by inviting her to eat with them, to inviting her to eat their food and the same level of food, the, the, the bread and the vinegar, and to sit, dine with them, he was intentionally, you know, this is what Ruth uh, uh, Boaz was doing, he was intentionally defining the social reality in that field. You're with us, Ruth. I told you already, you're my daughter. Come over here. Believe what I told you. You get to eat with us. Daughters eat with, with the family members. Sons and daughters eat together. <laughs> and Ruth's mind is like, what is going on? Was it supposed to be like this? This is a very intentional thing that God does through Boaz right now. You belong, Ruth. Come on. Join us. And Ruth's thoughts must have been racing. I get to sit and eat with everyone? What's going on? And now what? He's serving me food? This is new. (laughs) How's this supposed to work out? And look at all this food that he gave me. There's no way I could eat all this. He must be thinking about Naomi too for me to take home so she has something to eat. This is very intentional, brothers and sisters, to what Boaz is doing. So Boaz intentionally treated Ruth like a fellow Israelite as a member of God's people. Right? That's what Israelites do for other Israelites. God's family members treat each other like this, like brothers and sisters. And I think to myself, my mind was drawn to what Pastor MacArthur said last week in, in, uh, 
in our interview session, he says the goal, he quoted First Timothy 1.5. He says, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. And I think to myself here at Evergreen, you know, how healthy are we? You know, that's how you would uh, measure how healthy a local church is, but how that local church is able to love God and love one another. As brothers and sisters in Christ, how do we greet the new guests and new attendees that are, have been fellowshipping with us? You know, do they feel loved? Do they feel welcomed? That's important. We have been praying and working towards establishing a Spanish-speaking ministry. We believe through Acts 1-8 that we're called to reach out to our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And our Jerusalem, as we know here in La Puente, has a lot of Spanish-speaking people. And as Pastor Marco said, today was a historic day. I mean, I, I got to visit early on, and here's Pastor Hugo's uh, class notes. I said, this, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to frame this. This is a historic document here of our first uh, Lord's Day together. You know, it's a special day. And, and I was reminded of... Uh, how encouraged I've been to see some of our evergreen church members fellowshipping on Monday nights with them. And even today. That's acting like Boaz here, guys. Are we able to love people well who are a little different from us? Not different in the sense of the spiritual blood. Christ's blood is running through all Christians, but different. Are we able to see like Boaz with the eyes of Yahweh and to see the blood of Christ coursing through brothers and sisters? That's what we're talking about here. The youth, I'm grateful to be able to preach at youth group on Friday night. You know, how welcoming are we when new people come? Maybe even some people are a little bit different from you. You know, they may see you as different as well. Are we able to engage with one another? Are we able to have like the spirit of Boaz or the spirit of Yahweh and engage and say, come over here, come here. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, the Lord says. We have fellowship Sunday lunch right after this. If you're able to stay, that'd be great. We're gonna have the Lord's Supper through communion, but outside we get to have a love feast together. What will that be like? What are we going to see? Are we going to see mixing? Are we going to see invitations taking place? Or the same old, same old? Right? This is what we're talking about. This is Boaz reaching out and saying, come over here. Let's not just look at Boaz and say, oh, what a great thing that he did. What a, what a thing, what an opportunity that he's showing to us right now. What a great opportunity to connect. So there's no room for division in the local church. Because we have the same blood running through our veins. And then Boaz continues to show kindness to, uh, to Ruth intentionally, even more so now. After Ruth gets up from eating, okay, I got to get back to work. This is all great hanging out, but I got to get to work. I got I to make sure Naomi and I have enough food to eat. So after she leaves, he goes, all right, guys, men, come over here. I can see him just let her glean amongst the sheaves. Yes, that's right. Man, you heard me right. Let her glean from the main portion of the harvest. And do not insult her or make her feel bad. Don't do that. Verse 16, it goes, And you shall purposely, intentionally, pull out for her some grain from the bundles and leave it there. 
Boaz, are you sure you want us to do that? Yes, you heard me right. I'm in charge here. This is my field. Yes, you heard me right. Intentionally drop some of the harvest so that she could glean. Do not rebuke her and be very discreet about it. I don't want her to feel awkward about it. I just want her to just naturally take it up. What is going on here, right? And then Ruth, after lunch, is gleaning. It's like, wow, there's so much for me to pick up here. This is getting heavy on my back. How am I going to carry all this home? Perhaps this phrase might have popped into her mind, Yahweh, you have shown me favor. You're much more favorable and gracious than Chemosh. Perhaps that encouraged her. Well, reading verse 17, so she gleaned in the field until evening. Brothers and sisters, that's when t- until the sun went down, until the hot Israeli sun went down. I mean, that's 12 hours of work right there. That will make any man sitting in here wince thinking about the fact of working in the hot sun for 12 hours. She's a hard-working woman. And then it goes on, then she beat out what she had gleaned. The sun goes down, the work's not done yet. I need to separate the grain from the chaff. Now she, the sun is down, and she's beating, 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 and beating, separating the wheat. It's not over yet. And then when she's done, the Bible says that she had an ephah of barley. What is an ephah? Some, some commentators say it's between 30 and 50 pounds of grain. 30 and 50 pounds of grain. See, God was, Yahweh was setting her up for success. Yes, she had to work hard. Yes, she had to take initiative. Yes, she had to obey. But God was setting it up for her to be successful, to have an unprecedented gleaning day. Perhaps this was the greatest gleaning day of all time in history. And this really speaks to all of us where not one of us should feel proud of our personal success. Not one of us. Don't care how much education we have, how much money we've accumulated, how many accomplishments we have, how many trophies we have. Not not one of us should feel proud of our accomplishments. It's because of God's kindness that allows us to achieve success, as if he's dropping grain for us along the way. Let me point some of these common grains that he might have dropped for us. How about the God-given ability that you have? We had nothing to do with that. Your, uh, your smarts, your personality, your, uh, your physical strength, musical talent. We, you had nothing. I had nothing to do with that. How about the support system that you've given? Whether it's through parents, whether it's through aunts, uncles, whether it's through family, whether it's great coaches or teachers or pastors. You had nothing to do with that. God set you up. He was dropping grain for you along the way to, to, to profit from. What about the global circumstances? The fact that you're born in this nation would speak to that. There's way more opportunities that you have here than perhaps being born someplace else or living someplace else. Perhaps your parents immigrated when you're young. How about the protection that we all enjoy driving on the 10 and the 60 freeways or the 605 freeways to get here? I'm here. It didn't have to go that way. But you're here. That's providence. That's God's kindness in our lives. So not one of us should feel proud. 
Of course we have to work. Of course you have to apply yourself. Of course you have to have some kind of a diligence to stick with it. Of course. But it doesn't have to work out the way it has. This is Ruth's story. This is our story. See, our Lord's invisible hand of providence has been dropping grain for us for our benefit before we were even born. Keep in mind you had parents and grandparents on and on and on and on, all the way back to Adam and Eve. Yahweh's intentional kindness is all by grace. Ruth will understand this more someday. But it's time to go home. It's time to go home. Ruth, under the moonlight, it's dark now, it's nighttime. She loads up her back with 40 pounds of grain and she has to walk all the way back home, hoping that no one jumps her in the middle of the night to get back home. Keep in mind, this is the time of the judges. And she gets back into Bethlehem. And I can imagine, like, just bursting through the doors, exhausted, and dropping the bag, and poof, there's dust all over the place. But she's brought back home enough food to feed Naomi and herself for two weeks. And this shifts us to scene four here. The unveiling of providence. The unveiling of providence. Verse 18 says that she took it up and went into the city and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left over from lunch. She was satisfied after she was satisfied. Verse 19. And then Naomi starts to speak. Now she's starting to come out of her low point. Her mother-in-law then said to her, where did you glean today and where did you work? What is all this? This is way more than I thought would happen. I thought you'd come with a tiny little bag here. How'd you even find this huge bag? May he who took notice of you be blessed. You did find favor from someone in the fields. May he be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law whom she had worked and said, the name of the man... She can't, she can't just come out and say Boaz. She has to delay the, the suspense. The name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. That's right, Naomi, Boaz. Yes, do you know him? This is the man that showed me kindness and favor today. See, this is a turning point in Naomi's perception now. The blinders are starting to get opened up for her. Ruth returns home with an ephah of processed grain, some of her leftover lunch so she could have dinner. But Ruth brings something greater with her that night. It's called hope. Hope. See, Naomi's night of distress is turning to the dawn of hope. She's starting to see the light. She's starting to see, and God begins to unveil his providential plans. I mean, after losing her husband and her only two sons, this was just a natural, ordinary thing for her to go through. Now she's starting to see the light. She's starting to see a glimmer of hope. And in verse 20, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord, of Yahweh, who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. Kindness, hesed. Somebody asked me last week, what is hesed? Hesed, love. This is how we could understand this as a church. This is loyal love. Covenant love, committed love, 
faithful love, committed to the benefit of the other. And when, when Naomi says, there's a little ambiguity here by the author here in the, in the original Hebrew, may he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness. Is that talking about Boaz's kindness or Yahweh's kindness? And commentators across the board agree there's, there's an ambiguity there. Is this talking about Boaz or Yahweh? And the best way to understand this is just both. Okay, there's a purpose. The author is very purposeful in making it ambiguous. Because Yahweh is covering Naomi and Ruth through Boaz. All, at the end of the day, Boaz is doing it, but at the end, behind all that is Yahweh spreading out his wings over Ruth and Naomi through Boaz. It's both. But really, we see that it is God's kindness towards Naomi and Ruth. Naomi has hope now. Yahweh has been kind to the living. That's Naomi and Ruth. We can eat now. But also to the dead, Elimelech and her two sons. What does that mean? What hope is she thinking about there? Well, she's thinking about a future lineage. There's a man in, in our line who's shown kindness to us. See, Boaz is, is called here in verse 20. And, 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 and again, Naomi said to the man, said to her, the man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. Closest relatives in the original language is Goel, Goel, Goel. Could be translated kinsman, redeemer in your Bible. And the role of the Goel is he had four roles as a Goel or a kinsman redeemer to redeem relatives who were sold off into slavery, to buy them back. Number two, his role was to redeem family land that was lost because of debt, to buy back the land and get it back for your family member. Number three, to avenge any injustice that was done to your family members, to act as an avenger. And then fourthly, the Leverite marriage. What is that? It means that male family members would care for widows or relatives by caring for them, marrying them, and continue to try to have a family line. Men will step in to care for widows financially and provisions-wise, but also care for widows by having children to carry on their deceased husband's line. This could be brothers, uncles, cousins, blood relatives. And Boaz was, happened to be one of them. Providence. And Naomi is beginning to see the light. And in essence, things start to change at this point. Providence is veiled most of the time. But sometimes God in his kindness and grace allows us to see some of his goodness in it. Because our Lord knows how hard it is. Yahweh is a kind and gracious God to his people. And, but we're not at home yet. In eternity, we'll understand everything. Okay, it's clear now, God. Why did I even question you back then when I lived on earth? But we're not home yet. Evidently, all of us are still on the journey right now. And as long as we're on the journey, we need a little glimpse here and there, don't we? Don't we need a little encouragement here and there? And God gives... Naomi, that encouragement through Ruth, through Boaz. God is kind. He knows how to keep us going. He gives us just enough to continue on in our faith. It's all by God's grace. So in the meantime, what are we learning right now? 
as we end this sermon here. In the meantime, let's be focused on being faithful to the Lord right now. Let's do the ordinary things in our lives in an extraordinary way. Let's dominate the ordinary things that God has clearly called us to live to in an extraordinary way. As Sister Mel read, let's seek his kingdom and his righteousness first. This is what Christians do. We seek after God's kingdom and his righteousness. And understand that providence is where man's actions, even ordinary actions, intersect with God's sovereign plans. Just trust that. Even if we can't see it, perhaps maybe the prayer is, Lord, help me to see a little bit more what you're doing. Help me to see a little bit more what you're doing. We serve a great God. Our God is gracious and kind. None of these things that we enjoy, particularly our salvation, should we ever feel proud about. We've had nothing to do with it. Our Lord says, before the foundations of the world, you were chosen. Before the foundations of the world, we had nothing to do with it. We had nothing to do with it. So today is a special Lord's Day because we get to come to the Lord's Supper we got to, we, or the Lord's Table and to take the Lord's Supper. And this is an opportunity for Christians to affirm our commitment to the Lord and, and to one another and to remember God's commitment to us. And this is talking about our genuine commitment to Him. And to those of us who experience the saving grace of God, let's come with grateful, humble hearts, Pastor Dan will lead us in a moment, but I just wanted to give an opportunity to talk about that. And if you're not a Christian, the Lord's table is not for you. This is for God's family members only, for God's people. Perhaps today is a day that you experience the favor and grace of God, the ultimate favor and grace of God, that where you will know after this life you will live in eternity with Him forever. God says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And we have judgment to experience upon death. But Jesus says, I am the bread of life. This is harvest time right now for souls. And he says, I am the bread of life. He who eats of me will not be disappointed. And all that the Father gives me, who come to me, I will certainly not cast out. He says, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him, believes in Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. Our Lord goes on to say, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. We're talking about eternal life, friends. This is not a kind of a mental band-aid to cope with life today. We're talking about eternal life, the life that waits all of us. And every single one of us will live forever with him, forgiven of our sins, or apart from him in a place called hell forever. Everyone will live forever. And it's only by the favor and grace of God that we get elevated to this status where Jesus Christ says, you belong. Come here. Will you come to the Lord today? Will you respond like Ruth and get up out of your shed and come to him and dine with him, eat with him, 
What a grace. And you do that by acknowledging that you are a sinner, just like Moabite, uh, Ruth realized she was a Moabite, this is a foreigner. You're a sinner. You're a foreigner of the kingdom of God. And you come to Jesus on his terms by repenting of your sins, say, yes, I'm a sinner. I've done many things wrong. I turn away from these and I trust in your death and resurrection for the forgiveness of my sins and I will no longer serve my old gods, serve my old people. I'm going to serve you as my Lord. You make that commitment and then you have experienced the favor and grace of God, eternal life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word out of Ruth chapter 2. What an amazing, amazing account of how the ordinary of human life intersects with the power of God, your power, how you fulfill your plans and your purposes and your desires and the destiny of our lives through just ordinary means and ordinary things. Thank you that you have spread your loving wings over us, your people, only because of your favor and grace over our lives, that we could experience your kindness, Father. Jesus, thank you for being the bread of life, the life that le- the, the bread that leads to eternal life. Father, help us where we're at right now. No matter what we're going through, no matter what we're thinking right now, I pray our thoughts will be led to you by your grace. We will think about you. We'll gain more confidence in you. Help us to see your invisible hand of providence moving in our lives and around the world so that we could worship you more, so we gain more confidence in you, Lord. Father, I pray for the Christians in here that we will be people who are keenly aware of your providence in our lives. And scripture Just good old-fashioned scripture will guide us in how we live. The ordinary things of life infused by the power of your word. And Lord, I pray for those who are not saved, that they will give their lives to you. That they will admit that they're sinners and they'll repent. They'll turn away from their sins and acknowledge you, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior and commit to following after you, Lord. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.